Welcome to Bioethics on Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Jose Lott, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. This is the final in a series of podcasts observing the 49th, and I use this term lightly, anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the U.S. Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion across the United States. In episode 79, Marie Hilliard offered a primer on Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, a case that will hopefully overturn Roe. In episode 80, Dr. Maureen Kondik explained how scientific advances clearly demonstrate that life begins at sperm-egg fusion, or conception, and that preborn children can both exhibit consciousness and feel pain. In episode 82, Noah Brandt of Live Action spoke about pro-life legislation being enacted on the state level and his hope for the success of pro-life efforts on the federal level. In this podcast, we do something a bit different. We shift from law and politics to talk about Project Rachel Ministry, a specific practical effort that the Catholic Church in the United States has undertaken to meet the needs of women and men who are experiencing the trauma of abortion. I'm joined today by Mary McCluskey from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, or the USCCB. Mary is the Assistant Director for Project Rachel Ministry Development with the USCCB Committee on Pro-Life Activities. Mary McCluskey, welcome to Bioethics On Air. Thank you so much, Joe, for having me. It's an honor. Well, the honor is all ours. So Mary, you are, uh, you're a new guest on our podcast, and our listeners know that with every new guest, I start out asking, uh, asking the guest if he or she would please tell our listeners a bit about their background. So Mary, can you tell us a bit about your background, specifically your education, your work experience, and a bit about your current position uh, with the USCCB Committee on Pro-Life Activities? Absolutely, yeah. I, uh, as an undergraduate at uh, Franciscan University of Steubenville, uh, I studied communications and um, received, uh, earned my human life studies minor. And so mm-hmm. that's, I um, think, just kind of a, a great combination for um, what I'm doing now. Um, I also walked across the country uh, oh, with boy. a group called Crossroads Pro Life. And that was really, you know, there was the academic education, right? But that was really the, hands-on, true education about what people across this country in varying areas, uh, various socioeconomic backgrounds, know or understand to be true about abortion. And it was really eye-opening to see that most people don't really, um, at least at the time, I mean, that was a long time ago, but most people don't, don't really understand, don't really understand what it is or don't, you know, Mm -hmm. really don't, um, know the extent to which it really is uh, abortion is a a poison in our society. So, and that was just a great opportunity to see how learn firsthand and to witness. Um, And that, so that was an incredible experience. And can I ask you just how long did that take? How how long was that whole process of walking across the country and doing the work that you were doing? So, so three months as a group, wow. and we covered every mile from San Francisco to Washington, D.C. Uh, Crossroads is still active. They have developed up to now, I think, three walks across the United States. It kind of changes every year, but they've even mm-hmm. gone international. I believe they've done walks in um, Ireland, uh, somewhere else in Europe. I can't remember. But yeah, so it's, uh, 
you know, it's kind of like a, a, a frog, frog leap tag team kind of an effort. Right. Sometimes you walk through the night, sometimes you walk during the day. Um, just a great opportunity to see this country and get to know its people. It definitely was one of the highlights of my life so wow. far. Yeah. I interrupted you. Sorry. Go ahead. No, that's okay. But, you know, after, um, so I worked at, uh, you know, after college, um, I worked at, um, moved out to Washington, D.C. area to work in American Life League, pro-life group. I think they're located down in Fredericksburg, Virginia now. And then from there, I went to, I did some fundraising and event planning at a group called Judicial Watch. And then mm-hmm. from there, got hired at the USCCB and the pro-life secretariat where I've been for almost 20 years now. And so the position I'm in now is um, the third position that I've been in, in the secretariat. And I started out in uh, special projects and then I went on to be uh, heading up assistant director for education and outreach for a very short time. And then the bishops decided to add a new position to our office about, um, gosh, I think almost seven years ago now to specifically devoted to helping dioceses to develop this uh, diocesan abortion healing ministry. And so um, I can go into my, some of the roles of my, you know, current job, if that's helpful. Yeah, it, it would be. Just, before doing that, though, I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit about um, the, the, US, the USCCB Committee on Pro-Life Activities and exactly what, what does it do? What are the various things that it does? And then we'll, we'll focus down on, on your position. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people ask me like, oh, so when you see Bishop so-and-so, you know, tell him, you know, well, the bishops <laughs> don't all actually work in the building. They're in their dioceses, right? So the building, right. you know, actually is, is filled with, with mostly lay people, clergy, religious um, sisters, uh, brothers, but, you know, so the staff, um, works in the building and we serve, uh, various committees. And so at the national level, the bishops as a body elect, um, chairmen to serve on various committees that are, uh, that have certain mandates that cover particular Mm -hmm. issues. And the mandate of the committee on pro-life activities is specifically abortion and, uh, euthanasia. And now we broaden it a little bit more to assisted suicide. Assisted mm-hmm. suicide is an increasing threat more yep. so right now than a euthanasia. So, so it's very much beginning and end of life, intrinsic evils where people will be um, vulnerable uh, from being, in a word, killed by others, right. you know, right. um, their, their lives being ended in a very vulnerable position. Now, of course, all, you know, life issues are interrelated, but we are tasked in a very specific way with these particular uh, concerns. All right. So let's hear a little bit more about your specific position with uh, Project Rachel Ministry. Yeah. So um, my primary focus is, um, as you mentioned earlier, very pastoral. So um, my focus is on providing formation, guidance, and resources for uh, the diocesan directors that the bishops have hired across the country mm-hmm. um, to help them to develop this ministry. And so, you know, I develop, uh, you know, all kinds of resources, um, working with uh, clergy or um, taking notes from, from bishops that have talked about, you know, how, how, to, how to preach on the issue of abortion in a way that is um, pastoral and attractive and merciful and compassionate towards those who are suffering from abortion. So I might, 
be um, developing uh, homily considerations that go out to uh, priests, or I might be coordinating trainings with, uh, you know, along with several of my colleagues. We work as a team. And so, uh, I, you know, I have a great colleague who is our um, projects, uh, programs and projects coordinator, and she, she and I work together to develop these trainings for diocesan directors. We have one coming up in March that's virtual. It's all online right now yep. Um, yep. because of partly, mostly due to COVID. Yep. Um, so it's, you know, lots of different resources. We have, you know, resource manuals. We have, um, you know, templates for resources they might use in the parishes, such as uh, promotional cards for Project Rachel or ads. Or I just did a, 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 we're actually working on some promotional videos that dioceses will be able to use. There's a national website, for example, for Project Rachel that um, we're regularly updating. So just, you know, really doing you know, anything, anything that helps them in their diocese to, to develop this ministry. And it, it, Project Rachel ministry is, um, it's, uh, it looks different in every diocese. It's, it's every diocese structures it a little bit differently. And so our, our challenge is really, what are the resources we can develop that the diocese can take and really adapt at the local level to really fit their structure and their unique unique needs of their people. What's fascinating to me is how one diocese can be, you know, out west, you know, they have vast areas of land where priests sometimes drive an hour or two to say mass at a parish and then they go work at the chancery, go back and work to, you know, drive another 2 hours to go back to the chancery and work as director, you know, the canon lawyer for the diocese or something. Right. So it's just dioceses can be so different and so we just really try to develop resources that are adaptable to many different um, areas of the country. This has become kind of a staple question on bioethics on air, but what does a typical day look like for you? <laughs> if there is one? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. So, you know, I would say, oh, emails, phone calls, but really it's more interesting than that because so I have a lot of, I end up having a lot of conversations with diocesan directors and just communicating with them about their various needs. And so, you know, really I kind of, maybe I can answer more in the, the, the framework of the week, right? Okay. So I'll sure. have conversations, you know, a couple times a week with various diocesan directors. Sometimes they're starting this ministry off new. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they have a particular question about, you know, has, has one diocese, you know, I'm thinking about doing, working on, you know, I'm being asked to uh, work on reaccreditation for my program. Has, has another diocese done that, you know, or has another, has anyone out there, you know, worked with deacons? And so I'll be, you know, if I, if I'm aware of that, I'll be connecting dioceses to each other, or um, sometimes it's developing surveys and, uh, you know, sending them out and, and going through the feedback or drafting, uh, you know, drafting letters, thank you letters, or asking people to, you know, do organize these trainings, just kind of the basic to-do list that comes with all of these different tasks. Um, but sometimes I'm also doing exciting things like, you know, preparing presentations. I've had the honor of uh, traveling throughout the country and internationally, actually, to um, mm some conferences, uh, abortion uh, healing uh, conferences. And so sometimes I'm working on presentations. And as I mentioned, the video project earlier, you know, in October, I got to travel to various sites and be with 
um, the, the people who were sharing the interview subjects who were sharing their healing stories. And so I was on site with them as part of the video on site video production. That was very exciting. So, um, it's, you know, typical day, but sometimes there's a mix of interesting, <laughs> fun things that happen too, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, we know. All right. So let's, let's get into project Rachel ministry. Uh, itself. So just uh, from the USCCB website, uh, I'm just reading this quote here. It says, it, just, it describes Project Rachel ministry in this way. It says, quote, Project Rachel is a ministry of the Catholic Church in the U.S. to those who have been involved in abortion, unquote. Pretty straightforward. Mary, who is the Rachel in Project Rachel ministry? I've, I've always kind of been a bit not sure exactly who Rachel refers to. So can, can you tell us who is Rachel? Yeah, so she is um, an Old Testament figure, and she she is the the meaning behind her is that she was weeping for her lost children, and the the scripture passage is um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it it says it and that God wipes the tears from her eyes, mm-hmm. and the meaning behind this is that. It's Rachel could not heal herself. It's it, uh, God. Okay. God needed to. God is the healer. That from this grief and pain of of aching for her her children who are are who are gone deceased. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's really the Lord who needs to heal her and faith that the Lord will trust that the Lord will. So that's, um, you know, that's, that's where, that's where the name of Project Rachel Ministry comes from. Yeah. And I think that, is that uh, Jeremiah 31, 15? Is that the, yeah. is that the reference? Yeah, the scripture passage, Jeremiah 31, uh, verses 15 to 17. And that's important because it, yeah, the end part is where God comes in and, and wipes her tears and, and comforts her and consoles her and, and uh, gives her hope, hope for her future. That's that's the very last part of the, the verse I remember, and gives her hope, hope for her future. Good, excellent. So, Mary, how is Project Rachel Ministry specifically Catholic, and what differentiates it from other abortion healing ministries or programs? Yeah, that's a thank you for asking that question because that's very important distinction. You know, there we're we're blessed right now with a beautiful, growing abortion healing and recovery movement. Lots of different groups out there doing this, um, but Project Rachel is specifically Catholic because um, it, it is well. First of all, it's it's diocesan based, so it's mm-hmm. the church, the church's it's it, the church's ministry itself doing this. So it's it's going to be led led by the bishop under his authority, and it's going to involve priests, diocesan priests. Sometimes priests from, you know, religious orders come in and, and are involved as well. But, and it's, it's a direct, you know, we, we have Jesus directly in the sacraments. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of being Catholic. We have the Eucharist, you know, the source and summit of our lives. Um, And we have the sacrament of reconciliation, that's also what makes it specifically Catholic. I mean, that the priest is in persona Christi, Christi, however you pronounce mm-hmm. it. But it, it's, you know, that that is the heart of the ministry is that we, we can literally help bring people to an encounter with Christ who will heal them. And so it's the graces, the graces of those sacraments. 
and it's the diocesan structure, which is, which is beautiful. This ministry can be integrated. You know, it, it touches so many abortion wound. Um, you know, there's, there's three kind of components of the wound, which is the sin, the grief and the trauma. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what makes our approach unique. The approach of Project Rachel Ministry is we address all of those. There are there's some movements right now out there to talk about you know reproductive grief healing. Right. Well, that's um, and or to lump in miscarriage with reproductive grief. Well, miscarriage is, is um, it's a it's a it's a grief. It's a loss, and people may feel like they have done something wrong or caused somehow the miscarriage in some way, but there's not an element of choosing that right, right of sin. Right. And that's where this ministry is unique where, you know, there's a, there's a wonderful, um, a woman named Teresa Bonapartis who runs uh, Lumina hope and healing after abortion. And she talks about this very thing that, that the, tr like that's part of the healing process is coming to grips with the reality that you have, commit the the truth is you have committed a sin and and that's part of it and if we yes we are compassionate yes our approach is merciful and god can forgive even the most serious of sins but it is a sin and so but the beauty of it is that god's mercy is also so great and it's also a bit of a mystery too right but we know it to be true through faith. So anyway, I've kind of gone off on down on this rabbit hole because I just get so excited about this ministry, but it's just, you know, it's just, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. As you were, you were talking, I was reflecting. I have a, a friend who's a, he's a priest back in Cincinnati where my uh, uh, family used to live and he uh, is involved in Project Rachel Ministry. And we used to talk when we were, when I was still living there, uh, he, we were talking one day about his experiences. And, and he was saying a lot of the same things you were saying that just, you know, the, the, the bringing, um, you know, the, the women are experiencing this, this great sorrow and bringing them through the whole program. And really kind of the, the culmination of it is the sacrament of reconciliation. And he was just talking about how powerful that is. I mean, for them certainly, and primarily for, for the women, but he said for him as well, just to see, just to see people come through this whole process and kind of culminate with the sacrament of reconciliation. He said, it's very, very powerful. Um, and, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a wonderful program. That's, that's really great to hear. And we, we actually, we hear that from, from priests who are, um, who are involved or who, who, you know, help women that, that it is, it is, it, it speaks right to the heart of why they became priests. And that's exactly it. And, and we don't, you know, we, this is a, it's a work of evangelization really at its heart. You know, um, a lot of women, and men too, you know, as we're going to talk about, I think a little bit later men, but you know, it, they, they think they have committed the unforgivable sin. Right. But, but a pre, you know, priests will talk about how this, you know, this fulfills them. This is why they became priests is to, to help, you know, bring sinners back to Christ. It's why Jesus came, right? And so they're helping bring people back to the church. People, women feel as if they've committed the unforgivable sin. And so they're away from the church, right? They don't come back for sometimes decades. And then finally, for whatever happens through the grace of God, someone coming to them, a priest reaching out to them, or that finally the message gets through and they come back 
to church. They receive the sacrament for the first time in a long time, and they're back into full communion, and they're back with that relationship with God, and there's so much forgiveness of um, they feel self-forgiveness. They feel, they begin to feel forgiven by God and they have, can heal those relationships, um, and, and become whole. God right. makes them whole. Yeah. Great uh, segue to my next question. So again, from taken directly from the USCCB website, quote, in addition to referring for the for sacramental reconciliation, as we've just been talking about, the ministry, Project Rachel Ministry, provides an integrated network of services including pastoral counseling, support groups, retreats, and referrals to licensed medical health professionals, unquote. Mary, can you speak a bit about what these various services entail? Yeah, so I guess I want to talk about it from the perspective of um, the integrated approach to healing, which is our phrase uh, for... um, what is also a very essential component of Project Rachel Ministry. And and what I mean by the integrated approach to healing is that, um, you know, the wound of abortion is both spiritual and emotional or psychological, if you will. And so what ideally a diocese is going to be offering both of those types of healing opportunities. And so the, the integrated network of services is really how does the Project Rachel Ministry director or coordinator or pro-life office, whoever is overseeing this ministry, sometimes it's you know placed in Catholic charities or an evangelization office, but how are they offering uh, you know, the woman who calls the specific healing opportunity that that she, you know, that they're that it's discerned that they feel like they want to start with or they're ready for. So um, pastoral counseling could be spiritual direction with a priest, you know, or religious sister or a trained, uh, credible, you know, spiritual director, right. Support groups. So some dioceses will offer, um, so there's, so I guess, let me back up. There's both, there could be individual one-on-one healing opportunities or group, group healing opportunities. So that's where support groups would come in retreats, um, retreats are a wonderful opportunity, much like Jesus did. You know, he, he went away to a quiet place by himself to, to pray and to now by himself, of course, but retreats are usually, um, you know, group retreats, but, but so the group healing events, you know, some women are not ready to do do the one-on-one, right. And so maybe they are starting with a retreat and, there can be a lot of healing when women come together and share their stories with each other. They don't feel so alone. They begin to understand that other people have gone through this. They find uh, a support network. They help each other. So support groups, retreats, um, what else? So referrals, referrals to licensed mental health professionals. So that would be, that would be again, the one-on-one type of healing. Um, and so it's, and also let me not fail to mention, um, liturgies and, um, prayer events. So, um, you know, holy hours, a lot of dioceses will have, uh, healing, um, hope and healing, um, holy hours at different parishes. And so time with the Lord spent in the adoration in the Eucharist, just soaking up the graces of the Lord who loves them dearly. Just that feeling, you know, 
that experience of letting the Lord just give and you receive the love and that, that can just be so healing. So, um, you know, it's, it's really, as I said earlier, it looks a little bit different in every diocese, but, um, you know, the integrated network of services is about not only just the integrated approach to healing, addressing both the, the, um, mental, uh, the psychological and the spiritual, but it's also what are the various opportunities in the diocese, in parishes that, you know, that, that can be organized and offered to people, um, as, as part of the, the overall diocesan ministry. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, great, uh, great response. So changing gears, um, Mary, as you as I'm sure you are well aware, Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers downplay the consequences of abortion and some even dismiss the negative effects of ending the life of a preborn child. What specific issues or challenges do women who have experienced abortion face? And are there, do you find common threads, so to speak, to the suffering these women experience or do they experience it differently? Yeah, it's a very important question. So there are a lot of a lot of studies out there, you know, that that report these various side effects. Now, um up front I'll say the American Psychological Association like, you know, well, I won't get into all the politics, but there are groups out there that will say, "Oh, you know, there's no women don't experience these, you know, uh side effects." I don't well, we we have many many studies that, you know, that detail the very real suffering and the fact that this ministry alone exists and that it is needed so much. Um, yeah, there are, um, there are a lot of negative side effects. First of all, grief, grief for the lost child, uh, guilt, um, the shame. Um, then we get into, you know, very specific things like nightmares, flashbacks, insomnia, um, relationship problems, um, substance abuse. And then there are some even more interesting effects. Um, you know, I mean, so some women will, um, years later, you know, one of the effects we talk about is like an unhealthy fascination with either pro-choice or pro-life efforts. Hmm. So, um, interesting. Yeah. And, and sometimes anger, you know, uh, one of the one of the wonderful diocesan directors that um, we work with talks about um, that that people who've suffered abortion, some of them are masters of uh, suppression and denial. So, some I think the important thing here also is to recognize that some of these um, some of these negative effects don't surface sometimes for many, many, many years, and they can I was gonna ask you be about suppressed. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And again, like, I, you know, let me just say also that, you know, I'm not a mental health professional, so mm -hmm. this is not my own, you know, this is not my area of expertise, but I do know what all the studies say. And I do know what women that I have talked to that have had abortions report, um, that it's just, they, they can go to a very, very dark place, depression, all the, you know, think of, you know, Dr. Vince Rue, um, who's a psychotherapist and specializes in abortion uh, healing and loss and, and has done a lot of wonderful studies. He talks about it as abortion as an intentional death experience. 
and you just imagine the the wow. the the shame and the grief and all the things that are you know triggered when when you're um it, it it's very complicated right right um, yeah yeah so it's the, the so those are some common threads but i would also say that everybody because everybody's story situation is unique everybody's reaction is going to be unique and so that's why at project ritual ministry we really try to you know each person is an individual and their healing journey is individual um and nobody is going to their their healing journey is gonna, is going to look like their own it's not going to be exactly the same as anybody else's yeah again as you were as you were talking i'm reflecting um a, a number of Saturdays, I, I'll, I'll go down to the uh, one of the two or to both of the abortion centers here in Philadelphia, and you watch the women walk in, and you wonder, you know, first first off, you wonder, you know, you know, they're going to end their life with their unborn child. When is this going to? When is this going to hit them? You know, how are they going to react to it? And then you see people, whether they're quote unquote escorts outside of the abortion centers or just people on, uh, you know, walking by on the sidewalk in in Philadelphia, the Planned Parenthood. Uh, center is right in the middle of a neighborhood. And so particularly on a Saturday morning, there are people walking by and they're making snide comments or, you know, saying angry things to us, things you can't repeat, you know, on, on, on the air like this. And we talk, you know, people will, you know, they'll swear at us and do things and, and be very angry. And, and, you know, we'll talk amongst ourselves and say, you know, what, what is this person experiencing that they, you know, that, that they're, that their reaction to us standing outside and we're just, you know, we're being quiet, um, you know, praying a rosary or something and, and just the visceral reaction that some people have. And you, and you just wonder, you know, what happened in this person's life that causes them to react to us in this way? Yes, I, I there is, um, <laughs> you know, there can be, um, I guess one of the points I, I really strongly want to make that we haven't talked about yet is that we are living in a society, we're walking around amongst the, amidst the walking wounded, yeah. that everywhere we go, um, whether you, in, in your, what the example you just gave, where, where you see it, right? You see people who the, their abortion pain is manifesting in, they have, they, they've got a, maybe, I don't like, right. you know, I don't want to assume, we but it, it is sure. possible, right. Right. right, but it is possible yep. that they themselves have been involved in an abortion. And I mean, it, we, we know that they are protecting, they are involved in the industry. Right. So we do know that they are in some way advocating abortion, protecting it, right? You're, you're talking about the sidewalk advocates, right? Who, right. Not, yep. not the sidewalk advocates, but the, the clinic escorts or whatever yes. they're called. Yep. Some people call yep. them death, death escorts, right? Yes, but, <laughs> You know, but yeah, and so they're they're involved, right? They're exactly. oh, they're in they're the culture involved. of death, yes, and so absolutely. they're they're you know they're responsible, you know, objectively speaking, right? So mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to get into, I don't want to cross my lane here, but into the, you know the morals of it. But this is the NCBC podcast, right? But you know, so. Of course, formal there cooperation is. in a morally evil act. Yes, we'll I'll, yes, I'll leave that to you, the ethicist <laughs> here, right? But, but yes, so that's that's so some of them have like statistically speaking, we can say that there have been there are people working there that have had abortions, right? Mm-hmm. That we sure. can assume that or guess that, um, and so it's so that so that is how it manifests in some people, but the opposite is true, and so. Sometimes there are um, 
There are people who are drawn to uh, pro-life events that also have had abortions and they want to atone for or make up for their abortion somehow by saving others from that. And that's, that's also something we need to be careful of, especially as Catholics, especially as people, if you're active in pro-life efforts. Um, and it's one of the things I like to talk about a lot and is that, you know, if you're out there as a pro-lifer or you're a Catholic and you're talking about the issue, or just if you're just, just if you're talking about uh, people who have had abortions, it's always important to remember that we must speak with compassion. We mm-hmm. must remember yep. that someone who had an abortion and you would have no idea who they would be. You would have, it could be the last person on the world who would think you would think it could imagine could be listening. And we always need to remember that to be compassionate and, you know, think to ourselves, how would Jesus treat this person? You know, he met the Samaritan woman at the well and how did he treat her? You know, he was loving, he was kind, he was compassionate. He met her where she was at. He accepted her as she was. And so you just, you never know who's around and you never know when you're going to have, be the opportunity to just be that witness of compassion and love, you know, and mercy and to speak of God's mercy. And also that, you know, Many women have been coerced or pressured, right? Their culpability. Well, I don't want to get into that too. Of course, that's individual. You know, uh, uh, got to stay in my lane. But, you know, this is the reality is that many women feel as if they have no choice and they really, they, they don't know where the support is. They're in a desperate situation. And yes, they're still responsible for that, you know, varying degrees, but they feel as if they don't have a choice. And so we need to remember that too, you know, that it, it's, 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 um, it, it's a hard, desperate situation to be in. And sadly, many women, you know, make that decision to have an abortion. Yeah. So staying on the, uh, the topic of issues and challenges, chemical abortion is very much on the increase, both here in the United States and really around the world. And in fact, for, for any of our listeners who may not have heard it, we did a, uh, a podcast with the Charlotte Lozier Institute on chemical abortion. It's episode 75, and, and they did a great job explaining uh, what it is and, and many of the challenges involved with it. But Mary, from your perspective of uh, Project Rachel Ministries, is there a difference in the needs of women who seek healing after a chemical abortion versus those who have had a surgical abortion? So... I've, I don't know. It's a great question. And I actually began to ask myself this many years ago when I first started hearing about the, the rise in the percentage of, of abortions being chemical. And I think now it's something like 40%. Um, yeah. So I remember asking um, a couple of therapists about this. And I got two different answers, which was interesting. Hmm. Um, one was, you know, you know, every, every person's healing journey is unique. Every person's needs are unique. I was kind of, honestly, I was like a little disappointed. I was like, Oh, but I thought I was, you know, it's not the answer I was expecting. Right. Because there's so, to me, you think about that abortion experience and they're very different. Right. The, but then the other answer I got from the other therapist was, well, yes, they're, they're, the experience itself is different. And so the needs might be different. So, so I would say that what the therapists have told me is that from their experience is that, 
yes, there were differences in the abortion. So there may be differences in the, the differences in the trauma. So differences in how that trauma would be treated, right. And the healing process. So for example, if you think about a chemical abortion is you're going to be experiencing it at home most likely. Right. right? Yep. And you're taking the pill yourself. So there's very much an act of almost I'm doing this to myself. Yeah. I've heard people action. talk about that as well. Yeah, it's right. self-action versus someone else acting on you. Yes. And so also think about, um, you know, for a lot of women, uh, there's a, there's an excellent book called uh, Vesser, uh, uh, oh, Vessel van der Kolp, I think is the author. Anyway, it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And so all you know, your senses, where you are, your memory um, of the abortion itself, like all of these things, you know, women who've had abortions back when they did, you know, vacuum aspiration abortions, they talk about hearing the vacuum. And so mm-hmm. when they're at home and they want to vacuum, right, this can be a trigger for them. Mm-hmm. So imagine that you live in your home, you're having to use the same bathroom in which you experience, oh boy. The, you know, imagine the trigger wow. that you could be living in. So yeah. I, I, you know, you can just imagine that there are women who could be be constantly living in a state of, you know, repression of 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 those memories, right? And that would be a very hard place to be. Versus, you know, it happened at the abortion facility, and I, you know, I might be driving, avoiding driving by it on the way to work, but and and not not to downplay right. any abortion nope. at all. Nope. But nope. it's just it they they would they would be different. Um, that said, I haven't seen, I'm not aware of any particular, you know, peer reviewed studies or anything like that, but anecdotally and what therapists have shared with me, um, it, it's, they're experiencing the trauma in a different way. And so, you know, each individual abortion experience is, is going to be, of course, that person's individual experience is going to be need, need to be treated you know, as they experienced it. Yeah. Mary, how about men? How does Project Rachel Ministry serve them? Yeah, I'm very glad you asked that because men are often forgotten. Mm-hmm. And they they are the father, you know, they're they're that is their child. We know that. And you know, they they offer they often suffer the pain and grief of the abortion too. And they're they're told, you know, they don't have a voice, right? They have right. no legal voice. They have no say at all. And so they're left out of the equation in particular, right? Or it's not their body. And sadly, many men don't even, some some men don't know about the abortion at all or find out later. Um, so it, their situations can be, can have those kinds of complications. Um, so, or, or sometimes their grief. So if, with men it, from, from what people, you know, the research, some of the research that has been done. And I mentioned Vince Rue and he's a, he's a leader in this area as well. That abortion manifests with them is, as in addition to all of the, some of the other symptoms that, you know, or negative effects that um, I mentioned earlier for women um, that it can manifest a lot with men in a sense of powerlessness or a sense Hmm. that they have failed the woman in protecting her or providing for her and the child or anger. Men, men can become angry and rage. In fact, interesting things have been done in um, prison ministry where uh, sometimes it, it 
comes up that a lot of men in prison are suffering from, you know, they've been involved in a prior abortion. And hmm. so there's some dioceses um, that uh, have reached into that area and, and, and done some prison ministry with men and, and helped them I've done some abortion healing ministry there. Um, so Project Rachel does serve men. And honestly, it's a bit of a challenge because men are, men are less likely to uh, come forward for help or they're less likely to report their feelings of grief and shame and pain and loss. So, um, but men are, but they, but they do, some do. Um, men are also a little bit from what we've found less likely to maybe gather in a group and share their feelings and emotions with each other. So it's definitely something, you know, helping men heal and developing areas of healing opportunities for men is a little bit more of a challenge. But uh, again, there's always the sacrament of reconciliation. There's always, you know, meeting one-on-one with a priest or a deacon. Mm -hmm. Deacons can be very helpful in this area. Um, if they have the the information and the training to be able to to meet one on one with men, so Project Rachel does serve men, and we want to make sure that people know that, um, you know. And and sadly, as I said, it's you know, the psychological injury in men is is likely underestimated because they just right. they don't they don't talk about it as much. They're less likely to talk about yeah. it. Um, but yeah. so thank you. It's a great important reminder that men suffer that loss too. Mary, I was wondering, does Project Rachel retreats involve both men and women or are, you know, are the retreats separate for women? And if there was going to be something for men, it would be separate for men. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, so, uh, if a, if a diocese is able to offer retreats, you know, they can be very, um, a lot of resources to put them on, you know, but not every diocese offers retreats, but many do. Right. Um, some dioceses have found that men won't, men won't go on retreats. So it can be a bit of a challenge to offer mm-hmm. uh, retreats for men. So, um, you know, there can be challenges. It's so the USCCB doesn't, um, you know, we don't, we don't tell a diocese what to do, but we Mm -hmm. offer suggestions. And so generally what dioceses have told us and what we suggest or, you know, is that um, what we have found is that men and there are complications sometimes if men and women are on retreats together. Um, You know, the, the men might feel blamed in the room if women are sharing about, you know, their, their different complications of, you know, my, you know, there are various stories, right? And right. and the man wouldn't support me or my husband wouldn't, you know, or my boyfriend wanted me to have the abortion. So the men can feel blamed, right? And also men and women share in different ways. So, you know, many diseases have found it can be very, um, you know, it can be, those challenges can exist. But then other dioceses have had retreats where men and women are on the same retreat and they have found reported the opposite. It can be healing. So it really you know, it, it kind of depends. It depends on the individual. It depends on the diocese. Right. Um, but those are just some kind of considerations to watch out for. And the reality is men and women are are, are different. We are, we are, you know, and yep. that's, we you are. know, not Our a... culture tells us we're not, but the fact exactly. of the matter is we are. Yes. yes, we are. And thank goodness we are, you know, <laughs> complementarity of the sexes, right? <laughs> Complementary, but we're different, right? So... Equal in dignity. Yes, Absolutely. But, but we are you different. know, 
Exactly. And so just taking those realities into account and, and dealing with them at the very, at the, at the level of the individual though, it really, it depends. Yep. Mary, how can we make people better aware of Project Rachel Ministry or maybe even better yet, inform women and men about the consequences of abortion? Um, yeah. So yeah, these are two very separate but important questions. I'll tackle the last one first. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a, a difficult conversation. It can be very difficult to have this conversation or to talk about abortion in general, right? About the consequences of abortion. So, um, you know, there are lots of resources out there about, you know, how to talk to people, debate and make your point and, and strategize, you know, about how to bring up the consequences of abortion. But I think educational resources work well, you know, um, the consequences of abortion. I mean, that's, you know, that's a tough one. You know, it's yep. hard to talk about, you know, right. oh, the trauma and the negative effects. Um, right. You know, so I, I guess I would say it's also a way of answering the first question, how can we better make people aware of Project Rachel is there are, you know, resources out there that talk about healing stories. Um, you know, there are lots of people who want to share their story, right. To help prevent other people from having abortions and to share their very real, you know, there are the, there are the scientific studies and all that. Right. But I think nothing works as well as personal stories, but we always want to be careful because it, from the ministry standpoint, anyway, we never want to give the message that if you come to this ministry, you're going to be asked to share your story publicly with everyone. Right. <laughs> we don't want to send that message at all. Project Rachel Ministry is a confidential ministry. We take confidentiality very seriously. And there's no expectation that you're going to ever be asked to share publicly or, you know. But many women and men want to feel called to do that. And then might discern that that's something that the Lord is calling them to do. And there are ways to do it, different ways to do it. Anonymously. Uh, you know, sharing their, you know, some people do end up sharing their healing testimony at private events, at retreats or healing events that the diocese holds, um, you know, for in private, right? You know, not recorded or anything, but they're just giving their personal witness to others that have experienced abortion as a way of helping out naturally. They want to share what God has given them with others. So, um, so, but sometimes there are resources that, for example, the USCCB, we have a, a website called hopeafterabortion.org, where we have healing stories that women share. Um, we don't have a man's story on there, but I'm working on it right now. <laughs> but so there are resources at the national level that USCCB provides, but also that the diocese, dioceses provide. So, um, you know, websites and brochures and pamphlets a lot of times Project Rachel Ministry information is in the bulletins as well. So, you know, it, you can you can talk to people at Project Rachel Ministry. You can, uh, you know, contact your diocesan Project Pro-Life or wherever Project Rachel is located in your diocese. You can ask them to be, uh, you know, parish promoter of Project Rachel Ministry. Um, you could post flyers up on community bulletin boards. You know, there's one in my area at the local library. So there's lots of different ways that um, you could make people better aware of Project Rachel Ministry. Yeah, I, I realize I forgot to ask you about your website. Can you can you tell our listeners where what your website is and where can they can get more information about Project Rachel Ministry? Yeah, absolutely. So it's the the national website is called hopeafterabortion.org. 
We have a sister site in Spanish called um, esperanzapostaborto.org. The two link to each other. So if you go to hopeafterabortion.org, you'll see a little, uh, at the top, a little link that says on Espanol in Spanish. Um, so they link to each other and they are mirror sites, the exact same information. So on there is there are abortion healing stories, prayers, real women's letters writing in about their abortion experience and then our, our response to them. Uh, and then information on where to find local help. So there's a find help link. There's a map of the United States and you click on your state and it lists all the all the Project Rachel Ministries listed will have a confidential response. Uh, and so you go on the website and find the, the nearest Project Rachel Ministry to you. Excellent. Mary, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> words of wisdom. I That's... No pressure. Right. Oh, Lord, help me. No, I, I would just say that hope, hope is the word that's coming to mind, that if there's someone out there listening, you know, who feels hesitant to, to reach out for help that, you know, just the Lord is good. There's, there's a lot of, you know, there's, there can be a lot of hesitancy to reach out for help just in general. And I think that hope is the answer. There is always hope. The Lord is full of, you know, the Lord is kind and merciful. That scripture passage is just leaping out to me and we need to just, and, and if you, Everyone, the church needs to know about this ministry and that, and you know, and even if your diocese doesn't have, you know, isn't, has a full-blown Project Rachel ministry or you don't know where to get help, just remember that your priest, that's why he became a priest. The sacrament of reconciliation is there. The Lord is waiting in the sacrament of reconciliation to he's waiting he desperately eagerly desires to forgive you and to give you his love he wants he thirsts for you so that's i don't know that's just wisdom but maybe that's just the truth that i i know to be true well it's the wisdom of god I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I know so. I know so. Let's go with there that. You go. Yes. There yes. You go. I believe it in faith. I have, there, we have that gift, that gift of God's love and mercy, which is just incomparable. So, Absolutely. Mary McCluskey, thank you for joining me today on Bioethics on Air. Thank you so much, Joe, for this wonderful opportunity. It's been a pleasure. For more information on these topics and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, and subscribe to our publications, Ethics and Medics and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, or if you would like to subscribe to our newsletter or our Bioethics Public Policy Report, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot. Archived editions of our podcast are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts and would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, please go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.